0: The Brewers Association and Craft Beer Radio present this recording from Savor 2013 in New York City. This recording is from Saturday, June 15th, The Wide World of Stouts, featuring Fred Budelman from New Holland Brewing Company and Chris Leonard from Left Hand Brewing Company.
1: It's great to see you all here. Thank you very much for coming. Uh, my name is Paul Gatz. I'm director of the Brewers Association. The Brewers Association is the not-for-profit trade association for America's small and craft brewers, and we are the producers of this event, and we thank you very much for coming out uh, for this wonderful evening in New York. Um, so uh, uh, first, a little housekeeping. Uh, please turn cell phones off, if you will. Um, And please wait until you're uh, prompted by our speakers to uh, sample anything because if they're making a salient point and you've already gone through yours, well, you may just miss it. So, uh, please hold off on that. Uh, Thank you to our supporters uh, as well as uh, Manhattan beer distributors. And um, also, uh, Craft Beer Radio is taping this, so don't say anything you don't want to have show up on the internet. Uh, And uh, also, (laughs) and uh, craftbeer.com will be uh, um, uh, putting out the audio from this in a couple of days, so uh, you can hear it again if you'd like to, as well as hear some of the other salons that you did not attend. Um, Now, what we have here is the wide world of stouts. Uh, Our speakers today are Chris... Our speakers today are Chris Leonard, the VP of Operations from Left Hand Brewing Company. Uh, Chris is a world traveler. He's been involved in many, many nonprofits over the years, uh, including uh, he's been a, a board member of the Colorado Brewers Guild and has uh, captain of the team Left Hand, a bicycle team that's raised over $100,000 for multiple sclerosis uh, research. And also uh, Fred Beltman. Fred is one of the owners of New Holland Brewing Company and an old friend of mine. Uh, He's a nationally recognized expert on pairing of beer and food. Fred has also said that he would give me a sample of Night Tripper if I promoted his book here, um, yeah. the Beer Evangelist's Guide to the Galaxy. And after this uh, talk, Fred's got some books. If anyone wants to uh, uh, come up, buy one, and uh, get a signed copy, I'm sure he would be happy to do that. Um, and uh, so, uh, Fred also has a, a column in various uh, uh, flavorful magazines. And so please join me in welcoming Chris Leonard and Fred Beltman.
0: Thank you very much, Paul. And thank you all for coming up here and uh, spending the, the closing hours here of Savor with us. Uh, really love this event uh, and the celebration of flavor and uh, beer and food, so we're glad to share it with you all. Um, I thought I'd just take a minute and talk about our format and, and uh, how we got started, and then we're gonna, I'm going to hand it off to my friend Chris here, who'll take you through the first beer. Uh, we had some really fun conversations uh, once we realized we were doing this event together. And we talked about um, flavors and stouts and what we wanted to do. And instead of doing a, a match of each chocolate with each beer, having a different pairing, one of the things we wanted to do is, is explore how, you know, when you get kind of known counterparts together, when you get uh, companions together that work well, you can go back and forth and there's lots of room. So we, we changed it up a little bit and we each have worked with uh, chocolatiers in different parts of the country. And so um, Chris chose a chocolate um, with Lily's Chocolate out of Cleveland that we decided to do the first two beers with. And then I chose a chocolate with Gail Ambrosius from Madison, Wisconsin, which we are going to do the second two beers with. So you'll have a little back and forth, you can kind of check out what stands out, what changes, what shifts. Um, it's really less about is it good or bad, and it's more about what what's happening here when these, when these things interact with one another. So that's the idea. and. Um, what that really is is a reminder that you're going to have to make sure to save some chocolate for the second beer. And I apologize for, that, you know, for what stress that may cause, but I wanted to at least put the warning out there so I can shift the responsibility, I suppose. Um, we're really looking forward to it, and uh, without further ado, I want to hand it off to Chris and we can talk about the first beer here. All right. So is anybody from Ohio in this room or is
2: everybody from Newark? All right. So we got some Ohio people right on. So uh, has anybody been to Lily's Chocolate? They're in Tremont. If you haven't been to Tremont, go to Tremont. These guys are – I walked in, and this is a place that actually blew my mind. Um, I mean, if you look at it, it's just the circle one that's on your plate. Uh, outside of them being an amazing chocolatier, and there's so much going on in that little package, I think she's an artist. Take a look at that. It's beautiful. I wouldn't even know where to begin with something like that. And, and Fred and I were talking earlier. It was like, oh, you know, it's, it's funny. We do a lot of beer dinners around the country. We think beer is food. Um, and we always say it's like, oh, man, you know, chocolate and stouts. We do so many of them, and it's, it's usually a home run. It's pretty simple because a lot of the flavor profiles you're getting out of a stout, you get the roastiness, right? You get a real full-bodied. If you get a real piece of chocolate, we're not talking Hershey's here, a real piece of chocolate. There's a lot of similar flavors from a chocolate in a stout, so that's why they're very well together. But sometimes i like, uh, it's kind of a cop-out, but we talked earlier. We're like, a lot of people, I don't know if everybody's sitting in this room, if everybody's not a real beer person, sometimes you forget chocolate and, and stouts unbelievable. They really, really are because of the similar profiles and a really good piece of chocolate and a stout. So has anybody in this room had milk stout nitro before? <laughs> Look at that. Has anybody had milk stout nitro in a bottle before? Okay. So for those of you, so first off, thank you. You guys are awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, love you even more. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Best beer ever. Thank you. Um, So we have a lot of fun. Sorry, Fred. Uh. Sorry, I got the last
1: beer.
2: So uh, Milk Stout Nitro, we're the first brewery uh, outside of a small little brewery in Ireland to actually come up with a, uh, to be able to figure out how to do a nitrogen beer in a bottle. We do not do a widget. So I'm not going to, I don't have a full glass here, but I'm going to show you guys how to pour this. Um, So nitrogen is a different gas. It's smaller bubbles, if you will. It does not leave a taste. Um, It is tasteless. So you have to pour this beer hard. So unfortunately, you guys have small samples we get the full Monty up here. So I'm going to show you how to pour this. And the reason why you're supposed to pour it hard is because you're supposed to release the nitrogen out. So you're going to get a lot of vanilla notes, mocha notes uh, in the nose, and it's incredibly creamy. I kind of call it alcoholic chocolate milk for adults. So here you go. I don't know if you can see that or not. Look at that. Look at
0: that. I think you should think about going on the road as a performance artist. You
2: try make sure you You got to wait, you know? You got to wait. Good things take time. Uh, can we
0: get another Nitro over here? Because that's his beer. And it would be a crime to...
2: So in, in front of you, does everybody have one of those little sheets that we handed out? Um, so this, if you read through what she says on this list, it's crazy what she's done in here. There's a lot of different flavors going on. So you got that fresh ginger, right? Um, you have the cocoa nibs, which is going to tie into that bitterness and the chocolate and the stout, right? Uh, the ginger, I think, is actually going to be mellowed out a little bit in the Milk Stout Nitro. I think it's really, really going to step up and with what Fred's going to show you here in a minute. Um, that coconut is going to pair really well. So Milk Stout has lactose in it. So the lactose is a sweetness. It's the one thing that the yeast doesn't touch. Uh, It doesn't care about it. It leaves that residual sweetness. So anybody drink coffee in this room? Does anybody drink black coffee? All right. So awesome. So do I. But if you pour cream in it, what does it do? It mellow. Did you say mellow? Yeah. Mellows out the what? Right. Mellows out the roastiness. The same thing that milk sugar does, right? So you've got that residual sweetness. I think that residual sweetness you want to complement back and forth, that coconut and that chocolate, so you can go ahead and taste the chocolate if you haven't. I think the coconut in there ties in really, really well with that residual sweetness. And then the cool thing, the cool thing on that, does anybody know what black lava salt is? Anybody ever cooked with that? Anyone? So black lava salt has a smokiness to it. To have a little bit of kick in there, right? So wh- 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 I think that the black lava salt's the punch on it, but, wh- wh- but why? So it flavor. How, what, what flavors is it bringing out? I'm putting you on the spot, my friend. So I got that smokiness ties in. <laughs> All right. So a lot of people think stouts. A lot of people think stouts. A lot, a lot of people think stouts have a uh, smokiness to them, and a lot of it comes really from the roastiness. It comes from that barley malt, right? You have the variety. It comes from that chocolate malt. So I think that black lava salt and the beer pair really, really well. It's it's so much going on in there, and you should have a roller coaster ride when you're going through these beers. So, Fred, you've sat there and drank it. I'm going to taste it now. I'm going to let you talk.
0: Yes, please. I do really like salt against chocolate. I like, you know, there's certain times when you move it into dessert that, and we, and Chris brought it up earlier. Like, one of the reasons we do some of these, um, well, the main reason we do a lot of pairings in this educational setting is to continue to show people the beauty that's available with beer. And certain times, people, you know, beer fans already are in on the idea that beer and dessert is a beautiful thing, but it's a it's counterintuitive for the greater public and then especially when you start things like seeing like salt on chocolate with beer you can see people's eyes widen like we've you know threatened their family (laughs) and and the reality is it's just a context shift because we know we like salt uh, on various things and we know we like it with beer and I think one of the things it does besides brightening what it's on it also enhances the sweetness of its counterpart so it's going to bring some of the sweeter flavors forward and, and maybe some of the flavors that aren't always leading the way in the stout are going to show up when they're against salt like that. And when you think about it on a hot pretzel at a ball game with beer, it makes perfect sense. Well, the, the caramel character that are in the, the malts here and the roastiness and the sweetness and the chocolate are really not that far apart from the caramelization of dough that is a hot pretzel. So that's, I try to break down flavor concepts, simple ideas about what are you tasting and leave style and all that stuff alone and think about why do I like this or do I like it or what's happening even more so is what's important. I think this is really enjoyable. <laughs> is there anybody else tasting anything different? We'd love to hear from you. Anything showing up for you? All right. Well, uh, we could probably move on to the second beer here. If you have any chocolate left... I'm running short, but I'm not going to tell you about the extras that you can see here. Okay, uh, so Smog's Breath. I want to take a second to introduce Tim Faith here in the room, our uh, barrel master. He's in charge of our barrel aging program. Tim, say hello. Everybody give him a hand. So um, this beer is really the handiwork of Tim. Uh, Dragon's Milk is a beer we've been making since 2001. It's a bourbon barrel stout. When it was first created it wasn 't really uh, we didn 't call it a stout uh, Brett our founder, really designed it as a strong, dark beer for the barrel. What um, we found uh, in this age that if you don 't name it something, everybody else will, and it may not be that accurate, so stout it became um, but dragon smoke is a ten percent dark stout that 's aged in bourbon barrels. We blend first and second use wood, which means that we 're getting barrels from the from the distilleries. Uh, and we have a combination. Uh, about half of it is first use for us, which means it's already had bourbon in it. Technically, the barrel is second use. And then second use for us means it had Dragon's Milk in it already, and now we're going to uh, put Dragon's Milk in it again. We blend those two, which really gives us some ability to monitor how much bourbon character versus how much malt character, et cetera, and really come out with a signature beer. Um, And I love it for for all those things. The the flavors that come in from the malt are those nice roasty tones of chocolate and coffee. Um, Just, you know, beautiful in many settings, especially dessert and chocolate. And then what the bourbon barrel aging is bringing in is a lot of vanilla and coconut and specific bourbon character and some of that toastiness. And so we really like to have those flavors interacting. Now what we did with this beer is... uh, Tim then added toasted chilies, chili de arbos, uh, into the dragon's milk barrel and um, aged another 180 days, Tim, is that right? Month and a half, 45 days. Um, So you have this chili character that's coming in against those roasty sweet tones. And I'm going to drink some. I really like the time lapse of this beer. So, what you taste, what you smell when you smell it, what you taste on the front of your palate when you first sip it, and what you taste about three seconds later are—it's a—it's a progression, and I really enjoy that. Is anybody
2: else picking up the ginger in that, in the in the chocolate? I tell you, those peppers—I love peppers, man. I. I tell you, what was that? I think that ginger helps those peppers last even longer than they're already there. I mean, those peppers are long there, but that ginger, I love ginger, man. I I really do. And typically ginger is a palate cleanser, and it is. But that ginger in there, it's funny because when we talk about food and beer, like the pairings downstairs. First and foremost, the, the chef and the, what they've done downstairs is, is, is spectacular. Uh, they have done a great job on their pairings, but I tell you, from ginger, ginger's typically, I use ginger as a palate cleanser if you eat sushi, right? And I know I've seen a lot of you in the, in the room I've talked to, so thank you for coming by. Ginger is spectacular, but I tell you, on this, the ginger really, it's crazy. This pairing right here, like if you eat the chocolate by itself, the ginger is kind of subtle. When you drink the beer, the peppers are definitely there, but when you eat the chocolate and you drink the beer, man, that ginger, for me, I don't know about you guys, but that ginger pops all of a sudden. It was quiet before, but that beer really elevates the chocolate. But on the flip side, that ginger in the chocolate makes those peppers hang out for a really long time. Anybody else pick up on that, or am I just am I out there?
0: All right, cool. Murph, you got something, or are you just agreeing? Excellent. Uh, I I agree too. It was the first thing I noticed when I went back to the chocolate was that the ginger was right in front. And when that stuff happens, you know, what I like to talk about is that you know, there's. It sounds cliche, but there's really no right and wrong in pairing. There's. I also try to break down that there aren't many rules, so you don't always have to do anything. But if you think about the role of pairing, is to is to ignite certain flavors or to create. It's really to.
2: I'm sorry, I took
0: my chocolate away. Oh yeah. Yeah, he didn't, he didn't understand the rules.
2: <laughs>
0: but it, he went to Tim's table, so that was all right. Now, I would say if somebody's in dire need and, and went through your chocolate on these, let us know. We don't have enough for the whole room, but, uh, you know, if you're willing to brave it in front of the room, then maybe you earn a chocolate. Um, so what I was saying, though, is pairing is, is tasting things next to each other with the expectation of change. It's not just eating something great and tasting something great. It's expecting those two things to affect one another, to affect the perception that's going on in your palate. And that's what's happening here. And one of the things I like about it, plain and simple, is that I am a little odd in a way, but I I think of my palate almost like another living being. That it's a friend of mine, and my job is to keep it interested. And so when things change, my palate wakes up and is like, I've never had that like that before. That was really cool. And it's, it seems silly, but it's really simple. And if you think about it, um, that's a pleasant way to eat and drink, is pulling out secondary flavors um, through bridging. So that's what happened with the ginger here. It was, a, it was a little bit of a secondary flavor in our first go, and it became a primary flavor next time we had it. It was like we had a second piece of chocolate. So we got two for one. That's the other bargain.
2: And the coolest thing about, you know, when we were doing these pairings, so the next two, are, you know, you've got two imperial stouts. But for me, it was, it was really interesting. I'm like, wow, we have a milk stout, a sweet stout that's on nitrogen, so you bring that effervescence down because it's a lack of CO2, right? And it's a 6% sweet stout. Going, I mean, that beer from Fred in New Holland is crazy amazing. I mean, there's so much going on in that beer. And I was like, how is one piece of chocolate going to pair with those two beers? And I think they were I, – I, I think, honestly, I think that chocolate – did both, but if you if you once again I had like three of them, they're pretty amazing. But um, that that chocolate from Lily, what Amanda does, um, it was able in my opinion it was able it was a different flavor profile. That ginger was really kind of quiet. I think the nitro kind of brought the ginger down, but it really stepped up on New Holland's beer. Whereas I almost didn't get maybe I'm wrong on this. I didn't. I'll have to have another piece, but I didn't get the coconut as much. With New Holland's beer, but man, did I get the coconut on the milk stout, and that is the coolest thing going on in that piece of chocolate. That one piece of chocolate to go with those two beers that are completely different. That's what savor is all about. Uh, oh yeah. All right, we ready for uh, round two? Round two. Yeah. Or I should say round three and four. Three. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay. So,
0: why don't I start and tell us about the chocolate real quick, and then uh, hand it back over to Chris for the first of two beers with it. So, Gail Ambrosius is a chocolatier I've worked with for many years. She's uh, done a saver Salon with me in the past, and she's really one of uh, regarded, highly regarded across the country. She's got a little shop in Madison, Wisconsin. She does single origin. Uh, chocolates where she 's traveling and sourcing her chocolate from the various places that she gets it from, and really dedicated to the craft of of sourcing chocolate in a similar way uh, to all of us brewers, so I applaud her for that and um, so this is a truffle that is a cognac truffle, so it 's got cognac uh, it 's Ecuadorian dark chocolate uh, with a candy ginger and I believe ginger in the uh, in the ganache as well and uh, I'm going to save my comments about the pairing until I'm in it again, and instead I'm just going to hand it off and we're going to hear about uh, Wake Up Dead. Even though I'm bald, I once had hair.
2: Well, it's on my face, yeah. Um, So I am a a product of the 80s, I'm a metalhead. We did or did not name, I'm not going to confirm or deny the name of this beer, Um, but uh, are there any metalheads in the room? There might be or might not be a song that we name this beer after. Anybody want to crack a? who's the band? Wake Up Dead, okay. Well, I know you know. This is Jason, our East Coast Regional Manager. Say hi to Jason. Um, he, if you live in New York City or anywhere up and down the East Coast, he is the reason why we have beer on the East Coast. So make sure you say hi to Jason. Um, <laughs> so wake up dead um, an imperial stout we actually it's crazy we've been making this beer for 16 years this is our 20th anniversary uh, we were doing imperial stouts when imperial it's crazy our craft beer industry is pretty re- is relatively new for the most part you take a look at imperial stouts when we came out with this beer this was mind boggling to people we're like an imperial stout in the early 90s people were not doing that so an Imperial Stout, this beer lasts, this beer sellers in our tanks for about four months before we release it. We also do a barrel aged, and I would have loved to have brought our barrel aged, uh, but unfortunately we didn't have any. Uh, it sells out pretty darn quickly. So Wake Up Dead, an Imperial Stout. Yeah, sorry about that. An Imperial Stout, there's a lot of stuff going on in this. I tell you what, this is a pretty dangerous beer. Imperial Stouts typically are. We we take uh, we take a, a, a cue from um, some of the world's best brewers. Whether it's Belgian, I, I usually go back to Belgium and say a, a credit to those guys because when you drink a big, high alcohol beer over ten percent, I think a sign of a really well-made beer, really well-balanced beer is when you don't get that heat, right? You get very, very. Thank you. I like. The, I'm going to go hang with you guys tonight. <laughs> <laughs> so when you don't get that heat you get a little bit of that warmth in the back instead of smack in your face uh, i think that's a sign of a really really well-made beer uh, this beer in itself so it's unfiltered as most russian imperial stouts are but you get espresso notes in there uh, you get almost like chocolate covered espresso beans i love eating those those are crazy i usually eat them too much uh, you definitely get that in there um, Imperial Stouts, I mean, because of the malt, we use 10 different malts in this beer to get that flavor profile. But the other thing about it is a lot of people think Imperial Stouts are one-sided. Once again, going back to, to, to beer, unlike wine that is a one-legged dance with a little grape, beer is supposed to be a beautiful dance between hops and malt. It's supposed to be that marriage, right? This beer, you might not know it when you're drinking it. There's a beautiful earthy profile from those hops on the backside, side. But you have to experience it. Let that beer warm up. That's the other thing. And, you know, we didn't talk a lot about beer and temperature. Stouts, let that beer warm up. Let that thing breathe. And that's why also glassware, that's one thing I love about today, the glass you're drinking out of it right now is the appropriate glassware to drink a stout out of. I could talk to you about glassware for a long time. um, But I'll start there. And I need to eat the chocolate and taste the beer. So um, hold on.
0: So I'll talk a little bit about the thought process here with this chocolate. Um, Wow, did that really happen? Holy cow. All right. So distracted by that traumatic drop of the chocolate. I couldn't really speak there for a second. Um, So I think one of the things this is doing, obviously there's a lot of complimentary flavors here. There's big, dark, rich chocolate, roasty coffee tones in both of these things. Um, but we're also looking at matching intensities. So with two imperial stouts, you're going to need a chocolate of some substance to, to not kind of disappear when you go back and forth. Um, and so that's kind of a broad stroke, but it's, it's true. And what I love about doing these sorts of, of pairings is it really ends up illustrating some points that will help you pair when you're picking a beer for a plate of food no matter where you are, or what day it is, whether it's chocolate or not. And this is a great illustration of intensity. Pretty big chocolate, and it's living up to a a pretty big beer as well, which gives them equal footing to exchange those flavors. Social. I also like that, um, you know, the cognac notes and kind of the intensity of that. There's bringing a, a brighter sweetness from the beer than you might normally get. Contrast some of that roastiness and that just richness, and that little more bright sugary tones to me come out. You know, once you
2: break through that hard shell on the chocolate, you get that creaminess inside. Um, I tell you what, imperial stouts are very, very easy overwhelmed chocolate. Um, I, I I don't know what else to say other than what you just said. I mean, the creaminess, the, the creaminess in that. Really steps up. I mean, does anybody get licorice out of the out of the stout? No. No, you don't get any black liquor. You do. Yeah, I definitely get black licorice, right? Um, and so it, I went back in when I was eating that. Make make sure you get a little bit of that ginger off of the top of that. I think that I think it, I think it's interesting pairing in with that black licorice notes in there. I think it's quite. I think it's quite nice. Um, once again. If you had a chocolate that wasn't as rich and as flavorful, that Imperial Stout would completely overwhelm that chocolate. Uh, so once again, I think Fred's right on, and match intensity with intensity.
0: And I think one of the things it does uh, is, and this is what I love about pairing, is that it encourages a kind of a difference in a, a story or an arc between your first bite and your last. So to me, this beer is mellowing. Both are mellowing. Every bite and every sip I take, it just seems easy, more and more easy going. So what starts is a fairly intense flavor pretty soon is a walk in the park because they're both just kind of harmonizing, and it becomes lighter on its feet when, when things are, are bridged well together. Is that because you've had three beers and you're lighter on your feet? Could be. It's hard to, hard to distinguish the difference. So any other
2: comments? What are, are there, uh, is anybody else in the room picking up any other flavors, anything that's changing their mind? You're kind of being quiet, but I would love to hear some other things. I'm hearing stuff from this side. I'm hearing stuff from this side. But what do you, what do you got? I get a little bit of caramel. So you get a little bit of caramel out of it. You get a lot of licorice. That's interesting. Um, well, you guys aren't getting any licorice out of it at all. Why is it called... Who wa- You want to answer that? Go ahead. So, uh, back in England, back Hold on. In- oh, <laughs> so, uh, England used to import beers to Russia, and during the long ship voyages over the Baltic Sea, they had to amplify the alcohol so that it would keep during the time, similar to how IPAs, when they were shipped to India, they put a lot of hops as a preservative. So, in the colder weather, they didn't have to worry about the heat, so instead they increased the alcohol. So, therefore... They started sending it over to Russia. The Russians, being that they're very alcohol-loving, you know, with vodka and everything. Not to be a stereotype, but... Uh, <laughs> there we go, yeah. Go to one gin in the city. You'll see how much they love alcohol. But So, yeah, no. So they love these big, chocolatey, high-alcohol beers, so it just became a big product of export from England. Um, that, you know, kind of depended on the brewery, but, yeah, that was, you know... You know the, the higher alcohol, the higher... Yeah, the only thing I would say is if, if, if you drink a lot of Imperial Stouts and you love this category, a lot of American brewers call their beers after Catherine the Great. I don't know if you know anything about Catherine the Great, right? So old Rasputin, that whole story in there, is because of that whole lore, right? They love those big, big alcohol beers.
0: So when England exported beer to the booze hounds of Russia, they made it big and dark and boozy and called it Russian Imperial Stout. Did I get that right? (laughs) To to summarize? Okay. I like it. All right, so the next beer is going to come around, and uh, hopefully you still have some chocolate left. This is Night Tripper. Um, Now, Chris, I don't think we heard what band you were talking about with Wake Up Dead. Do you want to mention the May or May Not band? Megadeth. Megadeth. They're on tour... They're on
2: tour right now. Dave Mustaine for president. I'll say it online.
0: So we have another, uh, we have another like con- congruence of influences or something here where uh, we didn't know that the- we had this in common with these beers, but both of these have some musical references, or may or may not have references. There may or may not be a musician in New Orleans that goes by the nickname Night Tripper. Uh, and when we first started talking about this beer... Um, in concept, uh, I was talking with our brewmaster at the time, John Haggerty, who was saying, well, I kind of want this to be, you know, like the poet's bigger brother. The poet is our oatmeal stout. He's like, I want to take a lot of the tones that are in the poet, but I just want it to be, you know, dark and mysterious and and more intense. And I had been kicking around. We were looking at releasing this uh, prior to Fat Tuesday, just kind of where it was on the release schedule. So... I started thinking, all right, so dark, mysterious, poetic, and intense. Sounds like we have the Night Tripper. So uh, that's our play there. This is a big imperial stout. It's over 11.5%. It's rich and roasty and big. Um, This particular version, uh, we only made a few kegs of, a few barrels of. And again, Tim's creation here was he, he blended this in several different barrels. It's in bourbon barrels. It's in rum barrels from our distillery. And then he combined that and then uh, transferred it into our Zeppelin Bend Barrels, which is another whiskey we make, a straight malt whiskey. So it has two different whiskeys and rum barrels from our distillery, aged a total of 10 months uh, between those. And so this beer is not normally barrel-aged, so it's a real treat to have it in the room. And again, thank you, Tim. And so um, I don't... So this beer may or may not be above its originally stated alcohol content after it visited those barrels. So when I taste this beer, I mean, there is a lot going on. This is a big beer. There's booziness. There's rich. That's a technical term. There's richness. There's a, And when I get from that spirit aging is this like, you know, uh, rum sweetness, that kind of cane sugar sweetness that really both brightens and kind of hangs on your palate. But when you think about pairing this beer, you're at 11. I mean, you need to you need to go big. And I think that that doesn't mean you want something that's going to fight with it. You just need something that's going to help cleanse your palate and help respond and still be flavorful alongside it. And so that was the idea behind this chocolate is I really felt it hung in there and actually kept all the flavor impact from those things. But... But softened the intensity because you don't. You never want to erase the other beer. You don't want to. When when you talk about cleansing is one of the roles of pairing. You're not talking about erasing and saying I want to pretend I didn't have this. You're just saying I want to. I want to cleanse my palate, freshen it up so that the second bite is as fresh as the first. And that's the idea with this. I think there's some cleansing going on with the roastiness.
2: And I think that's where the ginger steps in. Ginger definitely goes there. So um, let me see a a show of hands in the room. Who does beer pairings or dinners at home? That is is badass. I'm not talking just you and yourself having a beer and some food. I'm talking like bringing friends and family over. Because the best thing about – here's the craziest thing about – and, and Paul could probably give you better stats than I can. But right now, I mean, we are we're, we're the best country in the world in terms of what we're doing in food and beer, um, in my opinion, in terms of all the styles we have going on. But we are still, if you take the largest crapper in the country, Sam Adams, down to the smallest guy that just opened yesterday, we're still only 6.5% of the total beer sold in the U.S. But for you guys out there, you're doing pairings at home you're talking with your friends, that's the best thing you can do right now is educate your friends and your family. Uh, but here's the other thing that's quite interesting to me. I think one of the things that if, if you guys, first off, being here is awesome, but for you guys, one of the things we talk about with beer and food pairings and chocolate is I think a lot of the things that we do as, as Americans is we're gonna go home and we're like, you know what? I'm gonna make dinner, I'm, whether it's pasta, I'm gonna have a salad or I'm gonna have chocolate. What beer do I have in my fridge? We need to stop that. We need to say, okay, hey, I'm going to have pasta tonight. Well, what do I have in the fridge? That, or What am I going to stop at home and gra- grab at the store before I go home? It's the same thing here. The reason why we're doing this, p- this pairing in this salon is to show you this is, not a per- this is not a piece of Hershey's chocolate sitting in front of you. This is a handcrafted, and, I, and you'll have to talk about what Gail did, but Amanda... I sent her beer. Fred sent her beer. She made this chocolate specifically for this event. This is not something you can buy. This is a one off that she did, and she paired it specifically after tasting his beer and our beer. So, yeah. <laughs> the chocolate?
0: I'm just glad that another producers, the chocolate producers, getting asked about making their one off regularly instead of us, because that's a switch. <laughs> I All, just feel uh, like we got a day off there. They're asking the chocolatier to make it again. Amanda,
2: so Amanda and Josh um, at Lily's Chocolate, uh, I told her I said, "Hey, first off, thank you for making this for us and being uh, and being willing to do it." Uh, but I, she goes, tell, "Please tell me how it goes." Um, she's a small individual. Her and her husband own this place. They started it years ago. Um, She would love to make this year-round if I come back and say, hey, the response was overwhelming, especially if they're taping this. Do you guys want this chocolate? (laughs) So get to work, Amanda. Yeah, come on, Amanda. So the other cool thing about this... Amanda does amazing work. Like, like I said, her and Joshua, I walked into her shop years ago and I was blown away. And, and the other cool thing that I didn't say about the story, I, I saw her about a month ago and uh, I told her about this and she got super excited about it. And she just had uh, her first baby, her and Josh had their first baby about two months ago, a little boy named Gibson. And she said, uh, Well, yeah, right on, Gibson. And I asked her, Yeah. <laughs> I asked her, I said, so uh, she goes, uh, I said, how are you feeling? She goes, oh, I'm so excited I can drink beer again. The first beer I had, the first beer I had was Wake Up Dead. Yeah.
0: Cheers. Well, the first beer Gail had. (laughs) No, just kidding. This is not a one-off. So uh, Gail and I did it a little differently. And um, that we've, we've done many pairings together, so we talked about a few of the chocolates we thought would go. And then um, just the way schedules are working and a number of things, she sent me chocolates. And then I chose the chocolate uh, that I wanted for this pairing. Um, she does do one-offs. And, and the plug I want to make for both these chocolatiers is combined with, with an idea that I want to put out there about pairing. Is that uh, something I love and that I express in the book is uh, that in order to pair well, you don't need anything more than a moment where you ask yourself a question, what would I like with this? And you, A little bit of mindfulness goes a long way. You have a palate, you have things you like, you have more memory stored in your preferences in terms of combining flavors than you realize. And so where that leads me is that it means you don't have to be a cook. That Typically, if you start pairing well, you might be drawn in and be encouraged to do some more cooking than before, But chocolates and cheese are great examples where you can host something where you make some pairing choices and and just leave beers out that are intentionally chosen for those things out on the platter. You can have a reception at your house and have people come over and have a few cheeses and a few chocolates, and you're pairing, and you didn't cook a thing. So it's the thoughtfulness that goes behind it. Thank you, Murph. And where that where that goes into plugging the chocolatiers is uh, what I feel like. There's a freedom when I work with them, and it's it's not just the flavor end. It's that they're not selling alcohol, so they can ship their chocolates around the world. So you can find chocolatiers you like that are anywhere nearby, and call them up. And it's not that much money to have 20 chocolates sent to you. So it's really we can indulge in things. Uh, if we take time to select the people we want to buy our food from, select the people we want to buy our drink from, and take the time to bring those things together. So I encourage you to think about that.
2: So I, once again, I'm going, to, I'm going to make a plug for Fred and his new book. I, I bought this the other day. Um, but I ha- he has a whole pairing about beer and chocolate, and I have to read this opening paragraph. Well, the so first reading
0: a, of the book, by the way, I'm, I'm excited about yeah. this.
2: How about that? So deep, alluring character draws you in. Attitude brings you back for more. There's softness, but sometimes you like it rough. Yeah. Spoken to the couple kissing in the corner. What was that? <laughs> Not you guys, the guys behind you. Um, some describe sweetness, but you know the whole story. When you get a taste, you might feel comfort, intrigue, or halting arousal from intense assertiveness. You know you want it. Some may think I'm talking about soft porn. Others may guess chocolate. Those who probably know me have already guessed beer. You can pick two out of three and have yourself quite a day.
0: Thank you, Chris. That was the best reading I've ever heard from that book. I didn't expect that one to be the first one, but. So how's everybody feeling? Anything else about the thoughts, questions, uh, comments that you've got from the chocolates? Yes, sir. Uh, are you going any Am I going to be releasing any recipes? There's 33 in that book, and then there'll be some more on the web. But uh, uh, recipes that involve these beers? Recipes for the beers. Uh, we tend to, we, we put spec sheets out which list the ingredients and some basic characteristics and they give you a, a pretty good idea of what the beer is composed with. We don't go all the way to sharing the specific, specifics of the recipe. It's a couple of reasons. I mean, there's just a little bit to leaving it to the allure. And also, most brewers are brewing to targets rather than to a specific recipe. So we're going for gravities, we're responding to the change in the ingredients and we're really driving to a, a palate in a data point of view that is really not a hard and fast recipe.
2: Well, specifically on Freds beers, you start throwing things in barrels. You're going to change that completely every single time.
1: That's the yes, beauty sir.
2: of barrels. I was gonna, I was that awesome www.lefthandbrewing.com so he's talking about my belt buckle, which makes me feel a little awkward that he was looking at my crotch the whole time. It's going
0: to sell a belt <laughs> buckle. Left hand burning. It's a wake com. up dead
2: belt buckle. How about that? Check it out. And it's a, and it's a beer bottle. <laughs> it's a 22 ounce beer bottle. <laughs>
0: the real troubling thing is that that came up after you had a reading about soft porn, <laughs> Murph. So the, the question is about water, and I'll let you kick that off first. The beauty of what
2: craft beer is you can change water profile, but the reason why we are in Longmont is because of the water we get uh, off uh, up some reservoirs uh, west of us up in the range. Um, the water is unbelievable in Colorado. I mean, Paul, you're from Colorado. I think Charlie was telling me the other day the water that he gets um, I mean, the reason, like I said, the reason we're in Longmont is because the water source, we don't really have to screw with it at all. Now, I don't know about what you guys do, but our water source is, is snowpack.
0: And we're grateful to be in the Great Lakes region. We're, we're a few miles off of Lake Michigan, so we have a great source of, of water. Chris is right, you know you can change it based on style. I mean originally you would see styles change by region based on their water source. Is it hard? Is it soft? What and they would they would brew the styles that were appropriate for that source. So if you wanted that style of beer, you would travel to a region that had that sort of water. These days brewers can can adjust the water on the way in to create any region in the world prior to going into the to the mash tun. But you still need a solid source of, of good water to start with and, and we're proud to have that our water will change a little bit seasonally it's, it's not my wheelhouse in terms of you know talking about the technical specifics but our calcium levels will change as we go into summer and it gets hotter and the and the the you know the 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 pull of that water changes so um that was something that was as we grew up as a brewer we had to start paying attention to was monitoring the water not for anything good or bad, but for making sure that we identified how is this changing through the seasons, and so that we can adapt and keep a consistent uh, ratio of, of minerals, etc, for the beer that we want to make. John Palmer's book on water is coming out in October for the for the recording. Uh, as part of the series, yeast, hops, malt, and water. Is that right? Great. Yes, sir. Uh, hold on one second. I can't hear you. Yeah. Can you tell us anything about that? You know, that that was excellent I thought from a bourbon perspective just having the beer barrel bourbon from Dragon's Milk and Thank you. Uh, I so wish we it was distributed more widely. <laughs> yeah, we're working on it. Uh available here in New York. So the question is about beer barrel bourbon and and we started a project a little over a year ago that released in October. And uh so we're a distillery, we're making whiskey, we're making gin, rum, vodka, other things. And uh we we, you know, we were kind of inspired by some other traditions out there in distilling and, and we got the idea of so we're already using bourbon barrels to make beer what happens if you know we put bourbon back in those beer barrels and so we actually had an opportunity to get some six year old bourbon uh, from southern Indiana and so we're buying it in bond or in cask as they say and uh, we tried it out and we really found it was remarkable so we're getting what happens when you barrel age beer which brings it back to this is that you put beer in the in a bourbon barrel and there's a couple things happen but that beer is penetrating the wood and going in it's displacing the bourbon that's in the wood that starts to come in and that's part of that flavor exchange it's not only getting the bourbon in but it, the bourbon is also what transports some of those oaky tones in and so now beer is in that wood after 180 days or 360 days if it if it had two agings etc um and so when you put bourbon back in, that displacement is happening another time. So now bourbon is penetrating the wood and it's pulling beer forward and that malt profile really brings some... I, I get like a cocoa character and a softness and a roundness to the corners and it's very pleasant and it's, it's taken off in a big way. We're laying down bourbon as fast as we can to kind of blend in and then eventually uh, have that really grained glass in our, in our place. But right now we're, we're buying aged bourbon aging it um, for 90 days on uh, Dragon's Milk barrels, and then bottling it. Thank you. I have a question. How many
2: times are you using your barrels for the stout?
0: Uh, It depends. And and Tim, if I miss something, please jump in. But uh, it, it depends. We're using them twice for Dragon's Milk, and then some brands will pick up the third use dragon's milk or some combination thereof of first and second use. But we'll definitely have have a role for a third use barrel either in bourbon or in the beer program. And I think at the most we probably get four uses. But it depends on the beer and what we're and what we're going for profile wise. Are you but switching back and forth between beer styles within the barrels?
1: We can use them for Two generations with dragon's milk, give them to the distillery for beer barrel bourbon, get them back, use them once more for dragon's milk, and then potentially they can also go back to sour. So
2: are you, personally, are you on both sides of the, the business? More of the beer. More of the beer. Yeah. So there's a question over here. Yeah, is there some, like, barrel graveyard
1: where they eventually, like, don't break? Make it any like... <laughs> My smoker. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. What what happens at the end? Like, do, we
2: sell our barrel. We sell our barrels off.
1: And then what? What do people do with them? Make other stuff?
2: They, I mean, honestly, we sell our barrels off. I mean, people use them for tables. If you if you've been to Left Hand Brewing, uh, we use them for tables in our tasting room. Huh. Um, people use it for their garden. Um, but when we're done with them, we feel like we've gotten as, no, an, as much wood flavors as we could, and then we turn them, We turn them loose. Any other questions? You guys are awesome. Yeah. Depth charge. <laughs> depth charge. Damn it. <laughs> so has anybody else had depth charge in a room? You we weren't
1: supposed to ask that.
2: So uh, depth charge, we used to do, there's a brewery in Athens, Georgia. Anybody from the southeast? No. Okay. Well, all right. So, so we, we're really good friends with a brewery in Georgia and Athens uh, called Terrapin. Anybody had Terrapin beers? Yeah. Terrapin's a spectacular brewery. Um, we're friends with those guys. Uh, we did a beer called Depth Charge. And has anybody... You guys all showed your hands earlier that you're coffee drinkers. Uh, so we did an espresso milk stout years ago. And uh, that was a one-off? Um, yeah, it was a spectacular... No, we're not going to do it again. But if you love that type of style, uh, we now do a beer for all the beer weeks around the country, including... Uh, New York Beer Week, called Week Sauce. Your beer Weeks! Yeah, Julia. Uh, so we use uh, coffee from Allegra Coffee uh, and a supporter. And if you like coffee, it is a beer made for coffee lovers. But alas, my friend, Dep Charge is a one and done. That was, that's, that's one of the coolest things I love about doing this, is I love naming beers, and that was me, because I'm a coffee drinker, and if you don't know what a dip charge is, a dip charge is, a, is black coffee with a shot of espresso in it, and I usually have one a day. <laughs> Any other questions? Yeah. Uh,
1: I'm a big fan of both your beers. I'm a big fan of cooking as well, and pairing. Sorry. So I'm a big fan of both your beers and, and pairing. The... Um, most pairings ever done was made dogfish heads positive contact with the number of recipes they actually had on a vinyl that came packaged with their beers. So have you guys ever thought in terms of accessibility, just having like a recipe on the, on the back of your beers as part of the label? something that's a little more, I mean, uh, about the book, but... We,
2: we do, yeah. First off, you should buy the book and he will sign it for you. Um, so the question is about pairings. Um, so we are in the midst of a total website redesign, but if you go to our website right now, we have pairings for each individual beer and we're going to be spending more and more time on that. But the reason we, we, I don't know what New Holland does, but we do not do pairings on our beer labels because they're changing on a rapid basis. And we feel like if we put a couple label, a couple recipes, they'd be outdated. So we always ask you to come to our, go to the website. Um, that's what we do. I don't know what you guys do.
0: We do put pairings on the back of our labels of every beer, but our pairings are broad strokes. So I'll say something like roasted poultry, citrus, herbs. I'm not saying make this dish, I'm just trying to ignite some thought process if somebody's making a decision about the beer that I'm trying to throw a few things in there that will help them think about the framework that that I suggest. Um, But it's all meant to be loose because that's really how I believe we eat and drink. and then recipes, you know, we, we went down one path of trying to get them on the website. It's a challenge communication-wise to keep it all current and, and you know, not to feel like another plug. But, I mean, I, I put my energy towards that in this book. And one thing I want to say is that you don't – one of the challenges with talking about recipes when it comes to pairing is that you don't have to cook with beer to pair well with beer. So just about any recipe, any food is, is game. So how do you choose this recipe versus that one? Um, and then there's a the question of why am I putting a recipe out if it, doesn't, if it isn't directly related to beer? So the structure is like wide open, so it's hard to focus. What I did with this book is that the recipes, not all of them include beer, but a lot of them do, uh, and that's their relevance. But I also make a statement saying, you don't have to cook with beer this much. I'm demonstrating a point, so here it is. But like beer dinners at home or whatever... Beer is an excellent ingredient in the kitchen, but it is not a required one. It's something that should be there when it offers something positive, and it shouldn't be shoved in for the sake of it. Um, And the cook is the one that finds that line.
2: And I know we're trying to close it, but the one thing I will say, every beer dinner that I personally do, and I'm going to ask Paul to speak about this, they, the Brewers Association has this great little, I don't know if it's 10, 12 pages, How to Pair Beer and Food. I hand one of those out at every single beer dinner that I do. Do you want to talk about those little booklets you guys have?
1: Yeah. That would um, be a good
2: way to kind of wrap it up.
1: Yeah, the uh, uh, Beer and Food Guide is an awesome uh, tool to uh, um, get some of the basics behind the theories behind uh, beer and food compare and contrast, whereas wine generally contrasts uh, the flavors of the food. But beer's got more depth and diversity. And if you're looking for some tools to uh, see what's going on with beer and food, uh, you ought to check that uh, guide out. It's on our website. And uh, with that, um, I'd like to remind everyone. There it is. There's the guide. You don't have this. Yeah, Julia, what's the story on these? Yep, so visit craftbeer.com for free and you can check it out, all the pairings, and uh, it's awesome. Um, So, uh, Fred is gonna be uh, signing copies of Beer Evangelist's Guide to the Galaxy. If you wanna buy one, come up to Fred afterwards. And uh, I thought this was an outstanding uh, salon. You guys did a great job. And uh, please join me in thanking uh, Chris and Fred.
0: Thank you for listening to this recording from Saver 2013, brought to you by the Brewers Association and Craft Beer Radio. You can find the rest of the salons from Saver 2013, as well as all the salons from previous years, at craftbeerradio.com slash saver or on craftbeer.com.
2: Craft Beer Radio is a weekly beer podcast that you can listen to on iTunes or from our website at craftbeerradio.com.